Welcome to the Abundant Wellness with Andrea podcast from surviving to thriving in mind, body, and spirit. Hey there, I'm Andrea Jones, registered nurse, functional hormone coach, inner healing and deliverance pastor, and most importantly, wife and mother of two beautiful girls. This podcast is really a conversation about how to discover and walk in an abundant life that God has laid out for us while processing what I call the messy middle, pain and overcoming things in our life that are hard in order to nurture all of the parts of you so that you can walk in abundant wellness in all areas. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I have the immense privilege of having one of my dearest friends on with me today, uh, Miss Bree Keel, who is a mama, a wife, um, and a co-founder, the co-founder of the Unhindered Life Coaching. So, Bree, thank you so much for being here. I would love for you to just share a little bit about who you are, um, and then we'll kind of dive into today's topic. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much. This is like a dream fulfilled. We've talked a lot over the years of wanting to kind of do these type of things together. So I'm so excited and just feel really honored that you would ask me to be on here. And I think you're super amazing. So it just is a great, a great opportunity. So I really appreciate you having me. Oh, well, it is. Yes, it is a mutual pleasure. And I would just like the audience to know that we refrained from bringing tiny hands on the show today. It was very hard. It was a hard part of our vision forever. Tiny hands. So we'll have to do. Yeah. (laughs) But we knew like this topic, we would not get through anything with tiny hands. So, (laughs) so we'll save that for another day. We'll save that for another day. But I actually, I have invited Brie on here to kick off actually our series on overcoming shame because she has an incredibly powerful story, um, journey with her husband that she's been on, um, that has just been, um, it's been a privilege and an honor to get to walk with her in that process. But there's, you just bring so much language to, um, to what shame sounds like and how shame tries to isolate and influence and lock you in to a place of pain. Um, and I just, I wanted to bring people on that can share their stories because I know, um, I know for me, like when I hear somebody else's breakthrough, when I hear them give words to something I'm walking through, um, it gives me a language to overcome. Like I'm not locked in anymore. And so, I would just, I would love for you to share whatever parts of, you know, your story that kind of the beginnings that led to kind of discovering that now we're on this journey of infertility and yeah, and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my story starts by just kind of the passion I always had around being a mom. Um, my family and I kind of have this, well, certain family and I have this joke that I was, um, I came out of the womb holding a child in each arm because I just love kids. Yeah. Um, always wanted to be a mom. That was like, you know, where people wanted to be doctors or people wanted to be rocket scientists. I wanted to be a mom. Yeah. And so I think that um, everything kind of came down to just that desire. And I um, was super blessed to find my husband when I turned 30 
and um, he is he's an amazing guy. And one of the things I love about him is he's always wanted to be a dad. And so we knew that um, one of our our biggest desires was to become parents together. And so we um, we met, we got married, and we thought that we were going to wait, you know, a couple years to have kids. But a couple months into marriage, we're like, why are, why do we want to wait? You know, this is something that we both want. And um something that we both feel prepared for. And so we started the process that we thought would be a very easy process. And um, we found out that it really was not that easy to get pregnant. And so um, about a year into trying to get pregnant, about six months into trying to get pregnant, we went to see my doctor and just said, Hey, does it usually take this long? Like nobody really talks about this stuff. You see movies that people just wham, bam, and they get pregnant. And so nobody really talks about how that might not happen for you. And so we went to the doctor and said, Hey, this just seems a lot harder than it should be. And, um, started doing some testing. And then about a year in, that's when we were kind of officially diagnosed with, um, what they refer to as unexplained infertility. So, um, there's a lot of reasons you can have infertility. Um, I didn't know that one of the the reasons was unexplained where they literally do not know why you can't get pregnant. And so about a year in to our marriage and trying to become parents, we found out that, um, we were being officially medically diagnosed with unexplained infertility. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and I think let's take, let's go into that a little bit, because I think even when you hear, sorry, I thought one of my kids was coming in the reality of mom's podcasting, right. Is one of the kids is going to barge in at some point. (laughs) Um, So I'm just not even going to edit that out because the listeners, they know this is is just part of of being a mom and working from home. Um, But let's dig into that a little bit, because when you first got that diagnosis, like what was your, I mean, I, I'm just kind of putting myself in that position where it's like, no, like that can't be, there's this Mm -hmm. tension of like, do I have to accept this? Like, is this really what's happening? Was Mm -hmm. it that point that you really began to understand that you were on a journey with infertility or would you say that came later? I would say that, um, my first, I like to use the phrase, my first kiss with the shame, uh, introduction to shame of that. And the first kiss of really realizing that, um, I was stepping into something I had no control in was when we were officially sort of diagnosed by my doctor and referred to a specialist. I think that that was the first, when I first heard it, I was just kind of like, I think it all just kind of came to a head of like, this is not, um, this is not what I thought my life was going to be like. This is not what I thought, like being, uh, like having a dream for so long in your life that just not being able to have that. And then sort of the whispers of why me and what did I do wrong? And, you know, all those things kind of started coming. So I would say it was my first kiss with it. And I don't think I realized in that moment kind of exactly what was happening, but it definitely was a lot of tension of like, hold on a second. What, what does this mean? 
how is this happening? Why is this happening? So definitely sort of my first introduction of emotions that I just didn't even know were going to be a reality. Absolutely. Well, and I think I love how you said, you know, it was your first kiss with shame, because I think especially for some reason, like the area of women's health, mm-hmm. when it impacts our ability to reproduce or carry to term or you know, everything within that spectrum, it hits you differently than just like, nobody feels shame about getting a cold. Right. 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 But, or, you know, or like breaking your arm, most of us don't Mm -hmm. feel shame about that. But Mm -hmm. when it's like, there's something innate in me that I should be able to do that I can't do. Yes. That's where, at least for me with my miscarriages, that's where I started to feel this almost like a disconnect from my body, not dissociation, but like, why is my body not doing what I feel like it should be able to do naturally? And so can you identify like what shame sounded like to you at the beginning? Like looking back, can you share? Cause I know that there are women that are experiencing that, that maybe just have never given it a name. Like, oh, this is what shame feels like. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think shame, um, when you say the word shame, I think it automatically has an association of what it is. And I think I didn't realize actually how many voices shame has. So shame um, will have voices of who you are and who you aren't. Shame will have voices about um, false responsibility, what I call false responsibility. So shame was saying a lot of like, I brought this on myself because- Mm -hmm of the past life I lived and the choices that I made in my younger years. And then shame comes as a voice of fear, like, oh, this thing that you want so bad, now you're never going to have it. Um, Shame can come in a voice of um, you should like feel wrong for having the feelings that you have. Like you shouldn't feel that way. You should feel this way or that way. And so I didn't realize until I actually really started on this journey that I had no choice to journey on just how many voices shame actually has that a lot of people actually don't talk about. Um, And it's hard to identify when you're in it that it is shame. You really have to be willing to um, go through a process of dissection to really understand like this is actually a shame speaking versus, you know, something else speaking. Absolutely. So yeah, so for me in the beginning, it was just a lot of voices of things that I had done wrong or things that um, even that I was wrong. You know, you touched on something that was really a huge voice in the process, which is I'm a woman. I should be able to do this. Yep. And so shame, that was a loud voice of shame of like, well, you're not a woman because if you were a woman, right. you'd be able to do this. And so, you know, um, and that's sort of when it starts to sort of separate you from and isolate you, you know, from the world, because then you see everybody else, you know, in their process of mothering. And now you feel like, um, I'm not, I'm not a woman because I'm not that, you know? So, right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think it, it compounds too when other people aren't talking about it or sharing their process or giving permission Mm -hmm. for your process. And I think that this is where, um, where we fail people 
mm-hmm. and is and just not is we want to jump from the emotion that we're seeing the person experience and what it triggers in us yes. to getting them to that end result. Like part of you know being your friend during that yes. time was allowing myself to walk through the grief and the pain with you and not being able to fix any of it. And you know what that feels like as a friend to, to be in that position too. Like it's the hardest thing because I so desperately, I wanted to have the answers. I wanted to be able to tell you like, just do this with your diet or just do that. And yeah, maybe those things are helpful, but they're not helpful to the heart. Yes. And I think that's where we fail people is when we're not willing to sit in the place and allow shame to even have a voice. Yes. Um, we want to, you know, um, use our spiritual tools or our religious tools and shut it down mm-hmm. when really what we're actually doing is further isolating people. Yes. And I don't know, I mean, maybe you can speak to a little bit about what that process was like for you to navigate, like, how do I talk about this with people? How do I protect my heart Um, while also letting people in, you know, like that's a whole Mm -hmm. thing right there. So Um, I don't know if you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're conditioned to look for processes, A plus B equals C. And so I think we are conditioned to like, if I just do this and I do that, it's going to look like this. And, um, I think of any journey I've ever walked on in my life, this is the one that taught me the most about how processing pain is not like an A to Z process. It ups and flows and it looks as many faces. It has many, um, nuances. It has many, um, it just has many trajectories. And so, um, for me, um, and just my own personal journey, uh, you, you're so smart. Again, you really hit on something just so big, which is, um, we really do a poor job in society of talking about the place that we're in and then the place we've overcome, but we don't talk about the middle, like we don't talk about. And so actually my, my husband and I, in the very beginning, we were trying to find voices that could help us process through what we were feeling in the moment. And we just couldn't find anything. We were on YouTube channels of people that were like 10 years after the process, having a voice trying to talk 10 years back. Um, We were, you know, finding voices of like hope, which is not a bad thing. But what that does, if you don't actually have transparent, like this is really what it feels in the moment then hope can become a painful thing. Um, If you are struggling with shame and the toxic cycle of shame and you don't know how to get out of it, I want to invite you to a three-week Bible study on stopping the shame cycle. I'm going to lead you through a personalized training in which you'll also get access to the Stop the Shame Cycle journal. We're going to take that journal and then uh, work through it together in a private Voxer group um, only for those who have registered where I'm going to lead you through the breakthrough, inner healing, freedom, and deliverance um, and heart compassion that is needed to really break free from that cycle of shame. So make sure to click the link in the show notes um, to register for that 
three-week Bible study, and personalized coaching all combined into one little package. So make sure to click the show notes for that and stay tuned for the rest of this episode. Because it it can actually fuel the voice of shame if we don't allow ourselves to be like, no, this is what it feels like in the moment and not mm-hmm. shame the fact that we feel that in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were having a really hard time just finding anybody that would just talk about what it feels like in the moment and how to navigate what it felt like in the moment. And that can actually increase isolation because you're feeling all of these things that don't feel great. They don't feel good. You don't always have hope. You sometimes feel very, um, I mean, I went through stages of depression. I went through stages of hopelessness. There were points, you know, where one of the avenues, one of the communities that we have is we're a part of a church And one of the beautiful natures of church is that they really do provide so much hope and faith. Yes. Um, But for somebody in a deep place of pain, that can also be a pain trigger. And so there were even times when I would have to tell people like, hey, I'm not open to hearing, um, you know, like encouragement or or hearing hope right now. Um, I really just need people to just be in my corner that can just sit with me in this place. And that's what I valued so much about your friendship in that process in those years is that you really um, didn't shy away from even just saying like, I know I can't fix this and I know that I can't make this better. And so I'm just going to sit with you. I mean, there were times when, you know, I would just sit down on your couch and cry, you know, and you never tried to pull me beyond that of like, Hey, let's think about this or like, let's get hope here. Let's. Right. Like you let me have those places. You know, I have voice memos back and forth of just, you know, like this sucks and why, and why can't it be like this? And, you know, and you never like shamed that you were just like, Hey, I'm just going to be here for you. Even if I don't know what to do. And there's a real value of not just pulling people across a finish line, but yeah. really, because there is a great amount of tension of sitting with somebody in their pain that you can't fix. Right. And it does trigger in you, the fixer, like yep. I've got to get this person out of pain because we're conditioned to avoid pain. Yes, And so right. pain is a bad word. And so when we see someone in pain, we're like, I've got to rescue you. Yeah. And and these things, there's no rescuing. <laughs> so we really have to learn how to just sit with people. And that was a big one of the things I'm so thankful for in our journey is that I feel like my husband and I really learned how to just sit with people and give them yes. permission. And permission is such a powerful tool that you can give yourself and give other people of like, you don't have to get beyond this point. Now, I do think that there is a balance. You know, there were times when it's like, I can't set up camp here. Right. I can pitch a tent and I can spend a few nights, but I can't build a home here. You know, it's like, I can't build a home in hopelessness. I can't build a home in depression but I can pitch a tent and stay there for a little while if I need to, to like get me through the process. So I think there's value, you know, in not um, building cities around that, so to speak metaphorically, you know, but, um, but really just giving people permission, like it's okay to say this sucks. It's okay to say that you don't have hope. It's okay to say that you're tired. It's okay to say that you're angry it's okay. And those were a lot of permissions I didn't know I had until 
you gave me a lot of those permissions in my process of like, why are you avoiding, you know, giving yourself permission here to be angry, like feel the anger, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think I kind of got away from no talking about, but no, no, you nail, you hit on a lot of different points there because I think there's within that wanting to fix it all. Right which I think is like the bigger thing. Right. And, and even like, I would say this is very common, like in church communities, but also just in relationships, right. It's, we get uncomfortable with maybe the doubt that we see or the lack of faith or the pain as like evidence of something, right. When it's really not always evidence of something other than your humanity. Mm -hmm. Like that's Mm -hmm. all it is. Right. And we all need Jesus to like, we all need people to be Jesus to us in those moments of pain, because it's almost like, if you think about these really painful, messy parts of our journey, like a really hard contraction, right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you just want to get the heck out of there. Like, Mm -hmm. don't even want to be pregnant anymore. Like it's just not, (laughs) we're just done with this whole thing. Like drug me. I don't care. Like we're done (laughs) with this process. Right. That's like the part of transition that pain can be like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where it is, it can be unto something if we allow other people and God in Mm -hmm. and we don't mask it. Um, But when you're on the outside, like I remember my husband's face, like as I'm pushing our daughter out, right. And he's like, like holding his breath and just has this look of terror on his face. Uh That's not helping me because he's mirroring my expression. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like we all need people who are willing to be like a doula for us Yes, in this emotional process. That's like, I've got you. Mm -hmm. This is really hard Yep, and we're going to get through it together. Right. It's just this, I don't know how, um, because Mm -hmm. there were, you know, many, many times where it's like, I would leave feeling like the worst friend in the world because I'm like, I didn't, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't help. I couldn't say anything. And I knew that wasn't my job, but I do think there's that place in relationships where we so badly want to pull people out of that place. But we, we actually do harm when we do that because we're not allowing them to have that, you know, just a place where things are unexplainable. Mm -hmm. We can't explain why our prayers aren't fixing this for you. We can't explain why, you know, why this hurts so bad, like, and why God isn't answering the way that we want him to. And so I'm just going to be mad with you because quite mm-hmm. frankly, I'm really pissed off. Yeah. And so, and I think me being on the receiving end of some of those conversations too, in, you know, a journey that I'm going to share in a later episode, um, it brought so much healing because it was yeah. like, I don't have to try to make this work for me. Like Mm -hmm. I can stop trying to convince God to be good. Yes. Like he's going to be good. And he's also a hundred percent. Okay. With the fact that I'm really mad right now. Yes. It really hurts. And I just get to be his daughter and part of being a daughter or a son, if you're listening to this and you've walked this journey is allowing other people to love you. Yes. In your pain. And I think there's that extra step that Um, I don't remember who, like, if you just learned this yourself, I don't remember if it was something I said where, um, no, I do remember, actually, you did teach me to say this where you're like, teach me how to be your friend right now, because I, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like in this season. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying that back to you, like, I, I just need you to show me like, how can I be your friend? Because what I want to do is probably not the helpful thing. 
which is cheer you up and bring you candy and like, you know, do all the little things, which candy solves a lot of problems. Let's be yeah, real. But, it's um, I mean, like, <laughs> jokes, <laughs> memes, I am always good for. Um, You're the meme queen. <laughs> but it was like, even just allowing yourself, which honestly, when you're in that exhausted place mm-hmm. where there's emotional fatigue and depression and hopelessness, it's really hard to advocate for yourself in that way of saying, can I show you how to be my friend right now? Mm-hmm. So do you have any, um, cause I think this applies to so many different situations, but do you have any like words of like how to, how to learn to advocate for yourself mm-hmm. in that place where you're like, I'm just done. Because sometimes when we get to that done place, it comes across like a throat punch mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't mean it to, and we don't want it to, but we're just so at our threshold that it's like, if one more person tells me one more time to just bless my ovaries, I'm going to punch them in their ovaries and it's not going to be cute. So I I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. I'm just giving voice to the process. Right. So I just, I feel like you having walked it, um, in that particular like vein of conversation. Right. Um, I feel like you could probably give some language to that better than I can. So what were some things that helped you to say that allowed you to advocate for yourself? Yeah. So I think there's moving parts. So I think it'll look different in each part of your journey. And I think that um, there are a lot of factors that sort of contribute. I think one of them is you really can't advocate for yourself if you're not giving yourself permission So you really can't advocate for yourself if you're judging yourself a lot about how you feel, where you're at, um, what you need, what you don't need. And so I think there's a lot of internal permission that has to happen before you can truly advocate for yourself. I think a second part is recognizing that people can't fix it for you. And, you know, because there's in process and in the heart there's, there is a reality of where if you're in pain, you do want to be rescued. Totally. And so mm-hmm. um, when then, when then you're in the middle of intense pain, that need will surface itself. And so remembering that people really are trying to do their very best to love you And that can be really hard when they're doing something that is creating pain, especially when they've never walked through what you're walking through. You really have to do the internal work of realizing like, yes, that created pain and I won't judge that created pain, but I'm also not going to villainize that they're, that they're purposely creating pain. Right. And it is just giving yourself permission to realize that people do love me. They are trying Um, and they really don't know how to walk this journey because they've never done it. And so I can, as a friend, teach people by saying like, um, I mean, I remember even saying to someone who I knew had the best motivations and intentions, her heart was so pure and she said something that was painful. And so I actually did tell her in the moment, like, I know your heart is so pure. Your motivation is so like purely to, to her, to, um, love on me in this moment. When you say that like that, it actually creates pain. And so maybe what you could say differently is say this instead. And so, um, so really just 
you know, giving yourself permission because it does allow other people to learn how to love you well, because people want to love you and they want to do things that make you feel loved. And so if we just pretend and we don't say anything, um, then, then people continue to hurt us when they have no intention to, and we disempower that person from being someone that can support us and help us by saying that these are the things that are helpful and these are not the things that are helpful. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think that there's just a lot of moving parts to it. I think that finding your own outlet for healing is really important because the more that you you can, um, you know, release pain, the more that you can process pain, the more that you can do that also allows just places where you can advocate for yourself better. Um, because if you're in high intensity places of pain, physiologically, you can't even like really process it because you're yeah. just flooding so much, you know? And so just being in places, I mean, I, I remember telling friends like, Hey, I'm going to go silent for a little while. Cause I just need like time to myself to just process mm-hmm. the being okay with putting your phone on focus mode or not having your phone on at all or not answering things or you know, um, Hey, I'll come back to that when I feel like I have emotional capacity. Um, just, yeah, I think it all just starts really internally, just not judging yourself and really giving yourself a lot of permission and knowing that you're not going to do it well all the time. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes with friends through the process in pain and I had to clean up those messes and be like, man, I'm so sorry that, you know, in pain, I said it like that, or, you know, had a Trina face or, you know, like throat punched you with my words or my tone or, you know, whatever. And so there were messes I had to clean up in my own pain, you know, of that process and being willing to do that. Um, you know, also just opened up more avenues for people to know that, that they, I knew that they loved me and that I loved them in the process. And so again, we look for formulas, but it's just, it's going to look different at different stages. It looked different at some stages. It was like, no, I need all the encouragement, all the hope that I can get. I need you to give me, I need you to give me this. Like, this is my lifeline. And then in other stages, it was like, that will kill me. If you tell me one more time about what you think God's going to do in my life. So every stage, you just need something different. And so giving yourself permission to find what you need in each stage is going to look different too. And to evolve, you know, I think we think that, you know, process looks one way and we have to give ourselves permission to evolve through processes too, that what worked for us in one stage, isn't going to work for us in another. And, um, you know, what worked from friends isn't going to be the same support that we need. And so giving permission as a friend to allow your friend in pain to evolve and change and allow those needs to evolve and change is really important too. Yeah, it's huge. And, and it's, you know, I think it's goes back to that piece of communication, right? Where it's the hardest to communicate when you're in pain. And, you know, there came a point even just like in my daughter's healing process where I was in so much pain that I kind of just didn't care anymore. I was like, I'm, and, and it was a good, it ended up being a really good thing for me because it allowed me to take a filter off that I had where I had to be nice yes. and I had to be like all put together. And yes. I finally just 
said, I was just like, the people that are going to choose to surround me are going to be able to stay for this. Yeah. And I, if I don't have the capacity to do X, Y, and Z, and I communicate that and there's an offense, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Cause I yes. did the absolute best that I could to communicate it in a loving and kind way. But if for some reason that causes a rub or an offense, then I just have to be okay with that right now. Just a reminder to grab the Stop the Shame Cycle three weeks of Bible study and personalized coaching linked in the show notes for you. Um, And make sure to stay tuned to next week's episode where Bree and I are going to dive into part two of shame and infertility. Thank you so much for listening.